into a world of chaos, we have turned into a season of chaos, right? With all the busy, we can miss the whole essence. So let's look at what the angels really sang as God came into our world of chaos to bring peace. Let's say it out loud together. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Peace is the most precious commodity in life. I remember one time I went around interviewing people, just man on the street interviews. If you could have one thing in life, what would it be? I really wanted to know. It was a sincere question. Every single person I asked said peace. It shocked me. It was it was a real eye-opener for me. Think about what we do to obtain peace in our lives. Just think about what you do. Just take a moment. Just think about what do you do to experience peace in your life? For me, before I was saved, it was, it was marijuana. And once I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to me, you don't need that anymore. Really, my, the purpose of it was to bring peace to my soul. What is yours? Where, where do you go? What do you do to try to bring peace? Because that is the most precious commodity in this world, this broken world of chaos, is peace. And we all try to find it in different places and different faces. And so God gave us a gift. It actually says that in the Bible. Look at this passage. I am leaving with you a gift. This is Jesus talking. A gift. Peace of mind and heart. Isn't that interesting? And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So why are we as believers chasing all over the place to find peace when it's found in our Savior? And for those of you here today who have not yet turned your life over to Jesus, there has not been a person I've led to the Lord over the years that when I ask them after they receive Jesus and I pray with them, I say, what are you experiencing right now? Every time they say the same thing. Say it out loud. Peace. You know, he is called the Prince of Peace. Why would he name himself that if that was not our greatest need? So don't be troubled or afraid, he says. So how do we keep peace at Christmas? The very peace that we're supposed to be celebrating that gets robbed from us through all of our activities. I want us to look at a uh, story in the Bible that is not a Christmas party, but it is a party nonetheless. Jesus is the guest of honor, and one person loses their peace, and the other person keeps their peace. And let's see how the person who keeps their peace keeps it, and how the person who loses their peace loses it. You guys ready? All right, here we go. Book of Luke, in chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. How can I keep my peace? Now, it happened as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha, yes, we're going to do the Mary Martha thing today, okay? For those of you who have never read the story before, it's going to be a real eye-opener. For those of you who, are, are, who have the gift of organization, I know you, are, you just wish you didn't come to church this morning, but you're going to be all right, really. And for those of you who have read the story and heard the story preached a million times, be like a child today, like it's your first time, and let God minister to your heart. He entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. So it's a house party. 
And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much surfing. Oh, I'm sorry. Facebook wasn't uh, invented yet. The, the Internet wasn't invented yet. Oh, it's not surfing. Unless it's David and Ben and Joel, right? Unless it's, unless it's surfing. We're, 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 at, we're at church at, at the beach. That's where our church is. Surfing. Distracted with much surfing. Well, I'm going to let it sink in right right there because some of you say you don't have time for our first point, which I'll give you in a moment. moment. But Facebook proves that you're a liar. Okay, here we go. But Martha was distracted with much surfing and serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, oh my gosh. She approaches Jesus and says, Lord, do you not care? (laughs) Our busyness drives us to crazy places where you can actually look at God in the face, the God of love who sacrificed his son on the cross for our sins and accuse him of not caring. Do you not care that my sister left me to serve alone? Now she's throwing her own party. What's it called? A pity party. Therefore, now she gives him a direction, a directive, telling God what to do. First, accusing him that he doesn't care. And then secondly, tells him what to do. Isn't this amazing? Therefore, tell her to help me. I love Jesus' response. If it was me, I would have turned her into a toad and just moved on. I mean, if you had all the power in the world, wouldn't you be a dangerous thing? Here's Jesus with all of heaven's power at his disposal. And what is his response? And Jesus answers and said to her, Martha, Martha. When he says your name twice, it's it's endearing. It's tender. It's kind. He understands her. He understands you and me. He understands how we can get so mixed up that we can accuse him of being an uncaring God and tell him what to do. But the best way is to run the universe. And he says, Martha, Martha. Let me tell you what the real problem is here. You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is, everybody say it, needed. Her needs and her real needs were not clarified in her own heart and mind. And sometimes ours aren't either. But Jesus knows what our real needs are. And Mary has, say it, chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. In other words, I'm not going to do what you say, Martha. I know you like to control everybody and order everybody around, and you like to have things the way you want them, but you're just not going to be able to control this situation. Because I am God, by the way. So how can I keep my peace at Christmas? Number one, spend time with Jesus no matter what. We, we all have so many excuses, and let me put it this way. We all have so many excuses why we allow ourselves to be robbed from the very gift that Jesus came to bring to us, which is peace. And it's not disconnected from him. His peace is his peace. So when you and I spend time with him, we experience 
his peace. Let me give you a list of peace robbers, and you tell me which ones you identify with that are, that are specific to the season that we're in right now. You ready? Let's see if you identify with any of these. Shopping for gifts. Having enough money to buy the gifts. Paying off the credit cards that you went into debt with to buy the gifts you couldn't afford. Fighting traffic. Weeding through crowded stores. All the stores are out of the gift you wanted to buy. Wrapping the gifts. Members of your family who find where you hid their presents. Getting to the necessary holiday parties. Getting the tree. Untangling the, fight, untangling the lights. Lights that don't work. Putting up the decorations. Cooking. Making enough cookies and bread to give away. If you're if if married, figuring out when to celebrate at both sets of parents without offending either. <laughs> he just got poked. Arranging travel schedules, three frightening words, some assembly required. I remember two a.m. putting that stupid dollhouse together. Having the right clothes for social occasions, gaining weight. Christmas programs for the kids. Sorry, Ella Marie, I'm looking forward to it next Sunday. Sending, sending out Christmas cards. Hearing, Grandma got run over by a reindeer again. Cleaning the house. Forgetting someone whom you should have purchased a gift. You guys get the idea? It's just, it's just amazing what we allow ourselves to experience. Feeling the pressure of making a memory. Knowing the years come into a close and you didn't accomplish what you needed to, intended to. Facing relatives you don't like. All of your work is due on a rapidly approaching December 25th deadline. And here's a few that are emotionally stressful. Knowing that maybe you'll spend Christmas alone. Kobe won't. You're about to have the best Christmas breakfast you've ever had in your life. And you will never want to go back to Hawaii again for Christmas. Because she's going to cook you some Christmas French toast that is just going to rock your Hawaiian world. Being a part of a family that celebrates separately because of divorce and missing loved ones who have passed away. How many of you identify with at least one of those? Just raise your hand. Okay. Those are your stress producers and peace stealers. So you've got to be very careful. Now you might think this first point of spending time with Jesus is a pretty basic point. Yeah, it is. And Martha missed it entirely. And so can we. It is so easy. Mary chose Jesus over other things. Mary didn't use the excuse that she had no choice. It's easiest for, easy for us to feel that way. Because we have priorities that we need to tend to. But Jesus saw it differently. This was not a choice between good and bad. But good and, I, w- I wanted to say gooder. But every time I do that, those of you who are anal with your grammatical things. Can't allow me just to say things and, and make, make up new words. Because it really just... I don't know what it does to you. So good and better or good and best. The best thing you and I can ever do is spend time alone with Jesus. Because from there, everything else flows. Martin Luther said this, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Now you might say, well, that is so counterintuitive. Yes, it is. I mean, we were like spinning tops on the planet. I mean, we got so much to do. You know, when the Internet 
when Al Gore invented the Internet. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. When the Internet was invented, the experts said that this is going to create so much more time for everybody. That was, that was what the experts said. The social scientists said this will create more time, slow everybody down. What has it done? <laughs> Just the opposite, right? It has sped us up so fast. We can do so much more now in such quicker amount of time. Our multitasking is just is just off the hook. So when Martin Luther says, I have so much to do, I'm going to spend the first three hours in prayer. You say, why? What, what, how would that make a difference? Because when you spend time alone with Jesus, this peace goes down inside of you. And you get centered in him. And he gets involved in your soul, producing peace, and he gets involved in your life and begins to do things that you and I cannot do with our own efforts. I was speaking to Augie. I'm not sure if he's here today, but Augie was here a few weeks ago. We were talking about spending time alone with Jesus, and he said he decided that he was going to start doing it for the first time in a long time at work. He saw the place in the parking lot where he was going to just stop and park his car and spend time alone with Jesus. And I said, okay, it was two Sundays ago. I said, next Sunday, I want you to give me a report. He said the first Sunday, he drove up in the parking lot, and the spot he had seen in the eye of his mind was open. He pulled into it. He spent about 15 minutes just alone with Jesus, just settling himself down, reading the Word of God. And he thought about the situation at work that had not resolved itself for weeks and weeks and was produced in tremendous stress. He prayed about it. He walked into his, uh, his, his uh, boss's office. This wisdom that he got from spending time with Jesus, he had this God thought, went in, shared it with his boss. His boss said, that is so smart. They implemented it, and it completely solved the situation. The first and foremost way to maintain your peace in this hectic season is to carve out time for just you and Jesus. You go into your bedroom. When others are watching TV, I mean, just for 15 minutes, just go lock yourself in and settle down. Or when they're playing games, just excuse yourself and go off into your bedroom or somewhere private and just open the Word of God. While they're doing their homework, sit in your car at lunch, read your Bible, let God speak to your heart. Get up 20 minutes early. I have to do that. Our house is just crazy. If I don't get up before the storm, forget about it. I mean, I slide under the storm, right? Everything's quiet. I get my cup of coffee. I chug it. Then I get my second. And then I just sit and I just quiet, just spend the time alone with Jesus before the first child wakes up or the first pet. They're so annoying. The pets. I'm sorry. When I read the story, I mean, can't you just see... The satisfaction on Mary's face as she's just gazing at Jesus. I mean, she was captivated. And I'm sure she heard the pots and the dishes clanging in the kitchen probably louder than usual, right? Because Martha's really, really irritated. She's trying to host. And I'm not dissing Martha. Look, those of you with the organizational gift, a gift of hospitality, a gift of administration, I don't want to dishonor you or dishonor Martha. That is a powerful gift. But when our gifts are so strong that they cause us to they cause it to trump Jesus, 
then our gift is actually working against us now. Can I hear an amen? Okay, but let me say those of you who just gaze at Jesus all the time, but you don't balance your checkbook, and you don't get your kids to school on time, and you can't do uh, basic things. I've talked to intercessors in the past where the husband will say to me, you know, my wife, I, you know, she's just not, you know, doing what I feel like she needs to do for me and the family. And the wife's response is, but God has called me to pray. I said, well, you're going to be doing a lot of praying because pretty soon you're not going to have a husband or, or <laughs> you're not going to have a marriage left if you don't tend to your husband and vice versa. You see, even our most spiritual gifts, our strengths can actually become weaknesses if we're not careful. When they're pushed too far. Jesus doesn't first want us to do for him, but rather be with him. And from that place flows what we are to do. And so that brings out the second point, and that is know your yeses so you can know your noes. Know your yeses so you can know your noes. You will not know what to say no to until you decided what to say yes to another way to put it if you don't fill your schedule with your things your priorities other people will fill it for you you've got to know your yeses before you know your no's once you know your yeses you can have the um, hopefully the emotional fortitude to say no i can't do that because you already know what your yeses are this is a huge uh, peacekeeper and stress defeater this point right here mary had already said yes to jesus so she could say no to Martha. And then Jesus backed her up. You know she liked that, right? I mean, this is, this is her older sister. She's coming out to shame her younger sister and telling God how things aren't right in the house and their relational dynamics. And Mary's just gazing at Jesus, and Jesus takes care of business for her. You know she just had to love that. What a beautiful moment for Mary. I do want to say again to honor Martha. Martha's the one that said to Jesus when Martha's brother Lazarus got sick. Martha is the one that said to Jesus, you can heal my brother. I mean, she had faith. She was a worshiper of Jesus. Because in this situation, she allowed her priorities to be out of whack. And we do the same. You cannot do everything and maintain your peace. This is simple stuff, right? But boy, do we fail over and over and over again. You cannot do everything and maintain your peace, nor does God want you to. I remember I got into a habit every morning when I would get up for prayer. What I would end up doing first and foremost was I'd grab my organizer. Because I want to get this out of the way so then I can spend time with God. And that became my habit. Or you could do it on Facebook. Where you get up and the first thing you do is you check Facebook and you know what happens? You get sucked in, right? Right? You're looking at the post, you're looking at the comments, and you know, I'm going to do the little comment, and then I'll spend time with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, a half hour is gone, 45 minutes is gone, however long it is. Or you start looking at the news, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, your time with Jesus is gone. And so I'd get up every morning, I would get my organizer out, make sure I got my priorities out of the way or organized, and then I'm going to spend time with God. And so one morning I got up. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and this is what he said to me, Mark. He said, put your organizer down and spend time with me first. I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm sorry. Of course. Thank you. So I put it down. And I got silent. I got quiet, just waiting for God to speak to my heart, give me some God thoughts. And the first thing he said to me, I could not believe it. He said, pick up your organizer. 
said, okay, should I wait until you make up your mind? You know, I'll just wait until you decide which direction we're going here because you seem a little bit confused this morning. God, I didn't say that. And he said to me, now I will tell you what your priorities are. Oh, dang, that's a whole new level. That's a whole new smarter level. And I've been doing that from that day to this, and that was years ago, where I get out a blank piece of paper and I ask God, what are my priorities today? And I get quiet, and many times he rearranges my priorities. Isn't that interesting? He's a practical God. Thank you, Rick. Yes, he is. That's why Rick leads our men's ministry. Did you hear his voice? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Jesus was masterful at doing only what the Father wanted him to do. Now we're going into we're going to a new level right now with walking with Jesus and disconnecting ourselves from the fear of man. Jesus one day was praying and he had prayed all night long. He gets up and his disciples come up to him in a, in a frenzy. Jesus, God, we finally found you, man. We've been looking all over for you. Everybody's come out to meet with you. And Jesus comes out and he looks and he says, the multitudes had come out with the sick and the lame to be healed by him. Because he had just had a healing crusade the night before. So word has spread in this town. And all of these needy, needy, hurting people came out. And they were saying, where's your master? Where's your master? And so the disciples can't find Jesus. Where is he? Well, he's been spending time with God. In the midst of this massive human need, Jesus is spending time with his father. And when they said, gosh, Jesus, this is a great opportunity. Your popularity, your public profile is going to skyrocket. Look at all these needs and you can heal all these people. I don't know what they were thinking, but they were a little irritated. Jesus was doing, somebody needs this, this is spontaneous. Jesus was doing the most responsible thing he could possibly do, which was spend time alone with God. Spending time alone with God is the most responsible thing you can do. Because, again, you get his priorities and you get his grace and his strength to go out and be the most effective human being you could ever possibly be. Because now you're doing it in the direction and the power of God. A Sabbath is also one of the most responsible things you can do. This is a side note, but this might be helpful. I remember I used to get so anxious when I would take a break or take time off. I got into this, I don't know, I don't know what it was, workaholism type thing, which is completely opposite of my personality. So I got there because I was running three stores for my brother, and I was general manager, and I just, I just felt this pressure. And the Lord had to jerk my chain one day to stop me. And he said to me, I created the Sabbath. So resting is in my will. If you are not resting, you are not in my will. He knew how to get me because I want to be in his will, and I know you do too. So that gave me the license and the freedom to value rest as much as I do work. I shared this with somebody once who was also somebody who was overworking, and I said to them what I just said to you, and they said back to me, why would I want to waste a day? Now, this is a precious Christian who said this, someone who loves Jesus. 
But you see, when we don't value rest, we hurt ourselves. And it causes the disconnect from the Savior, who is the Prince of Peace. I'm going to say the same thing over and over and over, different ways, so we can get this. So Jesus, you know what he did? He comes out. You're not going to believe this. Talk about a Savior who must not care. I say that in quotations. He comes out. He looks at the multitudes who had come out to be healed by him. And he turns to his disciples and says, I must go to other towns to preach the gospel too. And he turns around and walks away. Wow. That scripture right there is what kept me in the ministry. We are all surrounded by human needs and human expectations. Every day of our lives. I'm going to give you a phrase right now that's going to rock your world. Ready? You must get to a place where you are okay with disappointing people so you can be free to do the will of God. I know that's hard. I know it's hard knowing there are people who are mad at you because you didn't come to their Christmas party. They feel rejected. They're offended. You can't help them when they want help. I remember the first time God was teaching me this because I really was quitting the ministry. I had already made it up in my mind. I can't do this. I had worn myself completely out physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was drained. I was only in my early mid-20s, and I was done. It wasn't the body of Christ's fault. It wasn't humanity's fault. It was my fault because I was operating, operating out of a false belief that I had, if I was going to be a good pastor, I had to be there for everybody all the time as a good shepherd would. And so it was my fault. I just didn't have right thinking. And so my sister, who's a psychologist, I was driving in the car with her, and I was telling her I'm quitting the ministry. And she said, uh, well, you've, you're codependent. And I said, what? It's the first time I'd ever heard that word, codependent. Some of you really need this. I didn't mean to go this deeply on this point, but I think some of you really need this. I said, what is that? She said, you feel overly responsible for other people's spiritual development. The way we can put it in our human relationships, you feel overly responsible for somebody else's happiness. So you lose yourself, your health, your own identity, and their wellness. So you overextend yourself to try to make everybody happy or peaceful or spiritually healthy, which was my responsibility is to help people grow in Christ. But we've adopted a rule on this staff that we are not going to work harder on somebody else's life than they are. Oh. You come for marriage counseling, here's your homework assignment. You call up at 3 a.m. in the morning, we need to meet. Great, did you do your homework assignment? No. Okay, well, after you do that, we can meet. Click. Why waste our time? I know that sounds cold-hearted, but you get the point. I felt like the biggest schmuck pastor in the history of the world the first time somebody asked me for help and I made myself say no. Because I'd already, so I, I, 
I'd gone through some caregiving courses because I had to learn how to be a better caregiver so I didn't kill myself, so I could stay in the ministry. That was 25 years ago, so, so far so good. And so, you know, when you learn something new and you have to implement it, but internally your emotions aren't there, you just, I've got to, I've got to apply this new way of living, but I just, oh, I'm having a hard time believing it's right. I know in my head it's right, but in my heart, example, I, I still felt like I needed to be there for hurting people. That's the heart of Christ. And after a whole weekend of services, Friday night I did a, the, the single service, and then Sunday morning we had a serve, two services, and then Sunday night we had our evening service, and by Sunday night I'm the last one out the door. It's a 2,000-member church. I am exhausted. And I close the door. I'm, like, drained. And this person's on the front porch of the church, and they're looking at me like, like you know, they are going to die. You know, that look. And I said, hi. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh, God, no. But I got the smile. I'm here in Jesus' name. And they said, they told me their plight. I wanted to reopen the door, go back into my office, and spend the next three hours fixing their problem. That's what my heart wanted to do. My head said, don't do it. I had such a war going on inside of me. And I made myself say what I'd learned was the right thing to say because I could feel myself, I'm, I'm done. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't help you right now. <laughs> you should have seen the look on their face. I mean, they're on the porch of, of their church, and I am one of their pastors, and they are hurting. And I forced myself to say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help you. And they looked at me, and they were just shocked. Then they said, what about tomorrow? Oh, this is why I told you about the Sabbath earlier. I wasn't sure why that came out. Oh, God, this was worse, Josh. I said, I'm sorry. Tomorrow's my day off. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe they stayed in the church. And then I said this, because I've been learning. I am, everybody raise your hands up. Just raise your hands up real quick. Okay. Do you see any light shafts coming through the holes in your hands? Anybody? If you do, you've got some huge issues because it's not real, but you think it is. Okay, that's a Messiah complex that we are the source for everybody's needs. And I said to him, do you have any friends? Yeah. Are there, can you get a hold of them this evening? Yeah. Why don't you call one of your friends, have them pray with you, talk about this thing and then on tuesday i'll be back in the office and i will meet with you on tuesday i said okay and i prayed with him and i went home and fell flat on my face do you know what happened by tuesday their world shattering crisis had been fixed and i wasn't the one that fixed it it was a revelation to me there's a whole body out there. Somebody needed that. You must get to a place where you're okay with disappointing people. Now, look, don't try this with your wife. For all of you who just thought you had some, a new way of being married... This does not apply. 
Yeah. As you're sitting there on the couch watching football, and she's in there cooking, and she's trying to do the cook and do the dishes at the same time. And she says, honey, can you please come help me with the dishes? You know, I don't really feel like that's what God wants me doing right now. She's like, well, there, yeah, well, there's some things I don't think God wants me doing either. You only have, you have limits, your time, your money, your energy. God gives you, this is a huge truth, and I get to get to the last point and close up. God gives you enough grace, that's money, energy, wisdom, empowerment of all types. God gives you enough grace every day to do what he has called you to do. I mean, that's a fact. So discerning, Father, what is it you would have me do today? And I'll tell you, I mean, there's some basic things you don't have to pray about. Be a faithful husband. Be an affirming wife. Be a great mom and dad. Be a fair employer. Be the hardest working employee in Jesus' name at your job. I mean, there are things you don't have to pray about. Should I stay married? Because he drives me crazy. You have to pray about that. You just say, God, help me be faithful. And fix him or her. There's some things we already know, God, but then you, you prioritize them. I don't know if you saw this on Facebook for those who are on it, but this is just, again, a side note just for fun. But when Hope and I first got married, it was a, a short-term, uh, uh, you know, long-distance, short-term relationship. You know, we really didn't know each other. She was just hot, and I wanted her. So we got married. And we went to a coffee shop, and I said, after the rings are already on our fingers, so, you know, I said, why don't you go over there with your cup of coffee and write down on your list the things that are most important to you and prioritize them. I'll do the same thing. We come back together. I say, let's see your list. What's on the top of your list? Structure and organization. She said, what's on the top of yours? I kind of slid it off the table. I said, oh, you know, this is not a, let's not do this. Let's just take a walk. So I want to see what's on your list. Fun and spontaneity. So that's a train wreck ready to happen, right? So over the years, over the years we've compromised. I've become more structured and organized. Okay. I said this to Sam the other day in the car. I said, did I ever tell you the story about... And I said, what do you think was on the top of your mother's? I'm thinking that he knows his mom well enough. Sam, our uh, special needs 12-year-old boy. I said, what do you think was on the top of her list? Most important things in her life. He said, me? (laughs) That's one secure boy right there, huh? I laughed out loud. You know, you just can't help it sometimes. Okay, so the last point. One is that. Spend time with Jesus no matter what. Just quit making excuses. You're allowing your peace to be robbed. Secondly is to know your yeses so you can know your noes. Be emotionally healthy enough to just disappoint people. And number three is be a peacemaker. We've said this for like the last three Sundays, especially in our current world of chaos and division and all that. You, got, you just have to be a peacemaker. And there's some beefy stuff in here, and I don't have much time, so... Let me just get through this as quick as I can. Once you have the peace of Christ, you can share the peace of Christ. 
Now, I mean, have like you're connected to it. Again, for those of you here today that may have not given your life to Christ yet, as soon as you give your life to Jesus Christ, which you can do it right now while I'm t- talking in your chair, you can just say, Jesus, I'm opening my life to you right now. I'm inviting you in. And he's going to forgive you of your sins. You're going to feel the burden of your guilt just disappear. And his Holy Spirit's going to just come right into your soul, and you're going to feel his peace. But you can lose touch with the peace. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. He's in you once you've given your life to Christ. But we lose touch with it because we get cluttered with all this other stuff, as we've been talking about. But once you get back in touch with the peace of Christ, you then can share that peace. I, I do it all the time, man. I like I dip into my room and get on my knees and say, God, I'm going crazy right now. You know, I've got anger or lust or fear or Whatever it is that's rolling around inside of my soul at the moment. And so do you, right? And you get on your knees and you say, Jesus, help me. You just wait for a few minutes. And his Holy Spirit just does the only thing. that I don't know how people even survive without the Holy Spirit. Oh, my gosh. I remember one time I drove up into the mountains. Over there, I, I just drove. I just drove trying to find a spot to get away because I was so full of stress and anxiety. And I ended up on Sun, Sunrise Highway up there, you know, highway, whatever it is. And I couldn't find the perfect spot. So I literally, I was so desperate to have the peace of Christ. I pulled off the side of the freeway, like where the guardrail is. And I got my lawn chair out of the back of my trunk and put it over the other side of the guardrail and just sat there. I mean, sometimes you just got to get alone with God and it's, it's just not convenient. You can't find the perfect place at the perfect time. And I just sat there until his peace filled my soul again. I got back in my car, driving back down the hill, and I said to God, you know, sometimes you ask God what you think is a profound question, then he gives you a simple answer and you feel stupid all over again. I said, how do, the, how do people in the world who do not know you, how, do they, how are they making it? And he said, they're not. Duh. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs his peace. Paul says this, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts. See that? Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. The peace of Christ has to be in charge. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. This is talking to the body of Christ about not ripping each other apart. Look at this next verse. I'm going to take you up a few levels. That one, it was nice and soft. Here comes the next level. If it is possible, because some of you don't think it's possible to get along with some of your relatives, but it is. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, not them, you, Live at peace with, say it out loud, everyone. Why? One, because we need to maintain the unity in the body of Christ. 
We've got to keep our unity. The Bible says strain every nerve to keep the unity that Jesus has given to us when you gave your life to him. We became one. And Satan tries to rip us apart through jealousies and unforgiveness and offenses and all this stuff that happens in our humanness. But we are supposed to be a supernatural people that tap into the heart of God, tap into the Holy Spirit, tap into the peace of Christ and let his peace rule in our hearts and forgive the brother, forgive the sister. And the world goes, wow, and they see Jesus in us. The next reason is because we want to live at peace with everyone is so that we can build bridges so they can come across the bridge and find Christ. I said this last week. I'll say it again. It's one of the last things, but I'm going to jump right here. Jesus did not come to win arguments, but souls. And when you win an argument, you may have just lost a soul. But you feel good about yourself because you had smarter ideas than they did. And they, they'll never come to you to, for Christ, right? Jesus could have won every argument. But his purpose was to win souls. Okay, so I've got to give you some time. I'm going to take you up to the next level, and this is going to just... I mean, if you ate that first little piece of food I put out there about let the, Christ, the peace of Christ rule in your heart, you're like, yeah, that sounds good. I got to do that. Then the next level, you know, as much as lies within you, not them, they drive me crazy. No, no, it's not about them. It's about you. As much as lies within you. And I think more lies within us than we give credit for. And so now I'm going to give you a nice T-bone steak. It might be raw for some of you. It's going to be hard to chew, but just give it time. Ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this. Here it comes. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Oh, dang. That's in the Bible. Oh, dang. That's, that's just crazy right there, isn't it? In our human nature. And you know what? I've tried this recently, and it is an amazing thing. It is supernatural, I will have to say, because our sense of justice and fairness and not being taken advantage of and our rights and our ways and how dare you, all of that is coming out of our flesh. Out of our fallen humanness. But we're supposed to be a supernatural people that overlooks an offense. Francisco sent me a confession. I'm going to make it public this morning. And he just gave me permission. I do, he does, you're not going to believe this. The audacity of somebody. He goes into work this week and somebody has strung Christmas lights around his office. He's like, who did this without asking my permission? Is that like one of the most horrendous things you've ever heard in your life? An offense that would almost be impossible to get over? And he's not even Jewish. I mean, I don't know why he was so offended, but it was just that somebody would dare do something in his space that's not safe anymore. And then he remembered what we had said last week, that Jesus came to win souls, not arguments. And what did you do? 
you went and found them and thanked them. Thank you so much for invading my space without my permission. Is that, that's not how you said it? That's a small example, but he got bigger than the offense because he wants to build bridges at work. Not put C4 out of my rights, my ways. Right? The Bible says that love is not easily offended, and we live in one of the most easily offended cultures. I don't know if we've ever been in a more easily offended culture. So we have more opportunity than ever to overlook offenses because they are everywhere. Yes. Oh, you're going to add something too? Well, I better give you guys a couple of moments then if you're going to both have something. All right. We're going to get a little serendipitous here at the Gathering Place Church. Let me see. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, here we go. Okay. My wife said go this direction. Yes, dear. Yeah. That was not the end because I found out all the decorations that are in my place in the department that I work all are related to Christmas. Santa Claus, lights, everything, you know, the whole spirit. But I'm the one that decorated with the story of Christmas because they initiate. So now we have this candy hole, and in front of me, I put the story of Christmas, which is what you see there. And that's the only one. That's the only one. But now if they are offended, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> you put the lights, I put the manger. Oh, now he's a, <laughs> he's a savvy Christian. Well, this is a good story um, about peace. This happened about, I don't know, maybe four years ago. It was Christmas time and stressed out. And I was having my quiet time. And the Lord said, I want you to fast television for 30 days. And I thought, that's Satan. It had to be the devil. It's, it's, um, it's the playoff season. Oh, dang. I mean, God, I don't think you understand what I've waited all year for. The playoffs are starting in a week. I can't fast television for 30 days starting now. So I'll do it, Lord, after the Super Bowl. Oh, what a sacrifice. Yeah. I, you know, I threw him a bone, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll do what you say, but after the Super Bowl. So I watched all the playoffs, and it was uh, the end of January, and I came to have my quiet time in the morning, which I usually do, and I sat down to be with the Lord, and I had absolutely no peace. I mean, it was this, I, this internal chaos was going on in, in my heart, and... It was so bad, I just broke down and cried. I just started crying, and I didn't know why in the middle of my quiet time. And I said, God, I said, what's wrong with me? I, I have no peace. I'm just a mess. What's going on? And it's clear as day with no condemnation, not even correction in his voice. He said, well, if you'd fasted television when I told you to, do you think you'd be feeling this now? <laughs> And I said, I get it. I get it. But I'm a mess, and I have no peace. And he said, it's okay. Just like that, instant peace. Just instantaneous mm. restoration. No judgment. And I realized I looked at fasting television as some sort of horrible punishment, some great test he had for me. All it was was his kindness in advance. 
of what he knew the shape I would be in if I didn't. Isn't that interesting? Talk about wisdom. Amen. So spending time with Jesus no matter what. Defining your yeses so you know what your noes are. And be a peacemaker. Let people just have it. What I mean by that is, I was talking to somebody else that's in the house this morning, and they were so, I went to their home and had dinner with them, and they were so upset about something. I said, what are you so anxious about? She said, oh, my neighbor. They just think they know everything. They think they know how to do this and do that. Ugh. I said, that's what you're upset about? Yeah, because, you know, they, they think they, I said, dude. Why don't you take that energy and just spend it on your wife and on your kids and on your ministry? Who cares what your knucklehead neighbor thinks about most of anything? Let them have it. Let them say, ah, yeah. maybe. I remember Pastor Wilhite, one of my spiritual fathers one time when I was a young pastor. He said to me, well, John... When people come up to me and say, Pastor Wilhite, I think you I think you have pride. I just say to him to them, You might be right. <laughs> he lives in so much peace. It's a hard one for us, isn't it? Jesus wasn't defensive. Mary, Martha accused him of not caring. His disciples in the boat, they're in the midst of a storm, and Jesus is at peace. Just because there's a storm on the outside doesn't mean there needs to be one on the inside. The boat's being tossed around. There's a storm. These guys are fishermen. They know what a storm is, and they know they're in trouble, and Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up and said, Master, don't you care? Jesus didn't come up and say, Seriously? Really, you know who you know. I'm the Son of God, right? You know I'm love manifest. Cannot believe you think I don't care, and just get into this big argument in the boat, and create cause the storm to even more be more of a storm. He just would not get baited into debates and arguments. But choose to be a peacemaker. All right, so just wait on the Holy Spirit here for a moment. We're going to leave this place with the peace of Christ. Kirsten, who's part of our leadership here at the church, and has a gift of what's called prophecy. And that is when the Holy Spirit shows you something spontaneously or wants to say something to you spontaneously. It's called prophecy. It's in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So Kirsten has a word for us. This morning in prayer, God showed me what he wanted to do today. And I shared it briefly with the worship team. And I see it taking place throughout the sermon. And, and I believe that God wants you to know what he's doing inside of you because he's going to continue to do it throughout the week and he wants you to be aware. 
He's taking the parts in your heart and in your mind and in your soul that have been disconnected from peace, from goodness, from love, from him and his presence and all that he holds. And he's beginning to reconnect them. If you look at an electric circuit, like if you pull out the the outlet in your wall, behind it there are um, electric cables. And sometimes if they get disconnected, the outlet doesn't work. Hmm. And the nut can be on and the wire can be there and loose, um, but it's not connected to the outlet and so it doesn't function properly. And this morning, God is doing a work inside of your heart and inside of your mind, and he's taking those uh, wires that have been disconnected or aren't properly connected. Maybe they're not all the way disconnected, but they're not properly connected. And so you're not feeling the peace, and you're not feeling the love, and you're not feeling his goodness because you're disconnected from it. And I feel like maybe uh, some of you need to respond to that. And say, God, I feel that way right now. And I'm going to acknowledge it because I know that if I say, I feel this way, you're going to come in and you're going to wash over me and you're going to, to answer the, the cry that's inside of my heart. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind, if everyone could just close their eyes, please. This is just between you and God. No one else is looking around. But God, we are just going to quiet our hearts. And we're going to acknowledge to you, just you, that we feel disconnected, that we feel like something inside of our heart or our mind is not properly connected to who you are. And so we cannot function in who we have been called and made to be. And so, God, right now in this moment, we just acknowledge and raise our hand to you and say, God, I want to be connected. I want to feel the peace that surpasses all of my understanding, that guards my heart and my mind in you. I want to be clothed in your righteousness. I want to be clothed in your love. I want to be clothed in your goodness. I want to feel peace. So, God, right now in this moment, we're raising our hands and we're saying, Lord, we want to feel connected to you. And we thank you, God, that you respond to hunger. You respond to a heart that is in need because you are love. And your love is coming down now and it's diffusing and dispelling all fear. And with your love comes peace. So we thank you in this moment for what you have started at the beginning of the service and what you will continue to do throughout this week. God, we will acknowledge and be aware of what you're doing internally in us, not forgetting what you long to do to reconnect us to your heart so that we properly can function in who we have been created to be, not just today, but for the season and for the upcoming year. We want to be connected to you fully and completely in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kirsten. Hey, Mark, would you uh, play Good, Good Father? Yeah. And um, so as she, uh, uh, she, as Mark, I was thinking about Kirsten. As Mark leads us uh, in the song, I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down and, um, this is interesting. The prayer teams, can you, if you can get out of chairs and come on down here, please. This is interesting. Jesus told his disciples, 
This is really interesting. Catch this because it's going to happen down here. Jesus told his disciples, when you enter a home, let your peace rest upon it. If they don't receive you, you take your peace with you. Isn't that interesting that his peace is given and it can be given out? Peace is a commodity of heaven that we have that we can distribute to others. Isn't that interesting? So, if you lack peace today, we don't want to just be a church of information, but a church of impartation. So if that's you, you come down here and these prayer teams are going to lay